Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Celebrating 25 years as your host of the Garden Hotline. Here's Mike Miller on KMOX. 25 years, no way. Wow. Congratulations. Gee, Christmas. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Welcome, folks, and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your questions, comments, or concerns. And before Mr. Kelly gets out of here and heads into the newsroom, uh, because the Blues made the playoffs, mm-hmm. is that why you have the hat? No, this as a, as is why I have the hat. Oh. Yeah, right. yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Your hair's too wild? James there doesn't have that problem. I do. Yeah, it's, you know, it gets out of control Saturday morning. I throw a hat on. Who's going to see it? Nobody's here. Well, you never know. all these hallways. The head of Intercom might come to work today. You never know who's going to be there. I get lucky enough here on Saturday mornings to sneak down the hallways and steal some lifesavers. Do you really? Yes, off Judy's desk. Or Jody's desk. Jody's desk, yeah. Right. Good Mm. idea. Yeah. I'll have to go get some. (laughs) Thanks, Mike. You're a (laughs) lifesaver. And you are clever. Yes, folks, on Saturday morning we get together and we have a roundtable discussion about your backyard, your side yard, your front yard. Mr. Kelly was telling me they cleaned out around their irises so they can get ready for the explosion of the flowers a little bit later, a couple weeks probably. And especially garden space, that's what that is. So you got an iris garden. And how about the taste of the tropics? Your houseplants... Uh, how are they doing? Well, I I put my kaffir lilies out, which are tropicals. I've had them for a long, long time since I first moved back to St. Louis, which was in 1977. Uh, my great aunt gave me one, and uh, unfortunately, I put them out too early. Well, and I always like to fool around with them anyway. And they're sitting where the sun is actually hitting them, and then consequently... Some of the foliage got sunburned, but it happens every year, so I don't really care. I just chop it off. Anyway, how to improve your soil? Don't do it when it's wet like this. Prunings, bugs, diseases, and uh, using information to make the best decisions. My thoughts or orchestrations are hopefully going to open or solidify your options with a final judgment on the action is going to be totally up to you. And by the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your car, your home, or wherever you're listening. Another very important player here is a brand-new producer for the Garden Hotline. That's James O'Sullivan. So, whoa, he's going to have a new experience. Uh, By the way, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations. And uh, I also write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. That is a magazine that comes out every two months. During the week and sometimes on the weekend, I do landscape consulting. Today after the show, I'm headed to Baldwin and then back into Crestwood. And that's a walk and talk, which I, that's what I call my uh, 
Landscape Consulting. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage will have my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. We'll let the games begin. That's the Cardinal Games. And, you know, last week, I don't know if you were listening or not, but I was really upset. Fifteen minutes were chopped off my show because they were extending the contract of Mr. Goldsmith. And uh, that's the Cardinals, of course, first baseman. And who am I to be upset because they chopped off 15 minutes so they could Tom Ackerman could talk to him? And yesterday he hits three home runs. Oh, man. He's upset with me, I guess. No, he's not really. But anyway, today with this rainy morning, even though the Cardinals are not in town, it reminded me of actually how the Garden Hotline sprouted way back when, really um, kind of thir- probably – 25-plus years ago, when there was rain-out Cardinal baseball games, when the sports guys would kind of run out of things or, or whatever, they'd call. There was four or five of us. They'd call alternating. And you'd come down, and you would uh, take questions. So that was before the Garden Hotline even started. So then they started realizing, wow, look at the amount of people that are calling. And so then they decided to... Uh, <sighs> Start the Garden Hotline on every Saturday morning. So I just decided, even though the Cardinals are not home, and today would probably be a rain out uh, if they were home, so it's lucky they're not, and do uh, my good gardening stroll on the west side of Bush Stadium. The oak leaf hydrangeas, hmm, the buds are really pushing out as far as foliage. There is some bulbs underneath them, Cyanodoxa, which are small, minor bulbs with blue flowers, there were several people as I was walking back and forth across the west side of the stadium that had gotten out of the Metro Link and uh, they were headed south down the sidewalk. Crabapple trees there, boy, they were really pushing out the foliage. So, uh, hmm, I don't know if it's going to cause problems with if it's going to get down to 28. It certainly could. There's a bunch of white daffodils underneath the crabapples and some white violas too. Stan Musial's statue, well, it's got white daffodils, pansies, and violas as well. Really giving some pizzazz to that look there. But really, all those bright lights, they were sparkling on the wet sidewalks. So it was really kind of nice. And uh, I'll tell you, the crane sitting above Ballpark Village, it looks so huge and massive. I just wonder, wow, we that thing, I don't know when they're going to be finished with that, but it is quite the uh, orchestrated circumstance there, but Ballpark Village is important, but not nearly as important as Bush Stadium. Rumble of 4064 in the background sound like thunder. Well, this is March 30th. Almost, well, it is springtime. So anyway, it's been spring for a couple weeks. So Mike Miller, KM Walks Garden Hotline 314. 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your questions, comments, or concerns. St. Louis's news, traffic, and weather. News Radio 1120, KMOX. Depend on it. Yes, to the phones we go. I'm going to start off in Kirkwood, and we're going to see what's going on in Joe's yard. Hi, Joe. Hello. Hi. Happy 25 years. Well, thank you. I uh, was reading yesterday about a grass that only grew four or six inches and required half the water. And I can't remember if it was bull grass or buffalo grass. No, it's buffalo grass. 
And where might I find the seed for uh, this? That's somewhat difficult. You might, uh, tr- you know, I mean, try uh, OK Hatchery. That's right there in Kirkwood. But uh, I've seen it a couple different times. I've never seen it where I thought it was all that successful, to be honest with you, in, in this region. Now, it says it can, and you may have a circumstance that will really work well. But it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't look like lawn. So if you want it to look like lawn, it's not going to. Okay. So, I mean, if you put the, you probably have to overseed it several years in a row to get the clumps. It's a clump grower. It doesn't really send out rhizomes. That's the kind of the problem. At first, it's just going to look like a bunch of clumpy stuff. And then if you keep overseeding and overseeding and overseeding every May and every September, then you may get it thick. But it's, uh, it's a little rough looking. Let's put it that way. Thank you very much. Certainly. And thanks for having me on your show for 25 years. Now let's head to West County. And Mary, how are you? Uh, yes. Can you hear me? Sure. Okay. Um, you mentioned um, putting a pre-emergent on your lawn now. We've been using Scott's Halts. Does that contain a pre-emergent or do you know? Uh, let's see. I probably should know, but... Uh, you, I mean, when do you put it down? When do they recommend putting it down? Uh, now? Yeah. <laughs> the so first it's, application. Yeah, it's got to be a pre-emergent if you're putting it down now. Okay. Also, uh, I bought a boomerang lilac, little tiny baby bush last fall, and they told me not to fertilize it in the fall. Is now too early to start fertilizing it? I would wait until the buds are actually starting to push out some growth. So that okay. way, with pretty much anything, that's kind of the trigger if you put it down sooner than that, it'd probably be okay. It's just if we have days like this and we have it for like a week, the fertilizer may uh-huh. be just washed past the root system. So, do you recommend a certain kind of fertilizer for plants like that, or well, just can I use just like a Schultz or something? Uh, basically, lilacs like an acid or uh, an alkaline soil. So just watch out that whatever fertilizer you put down doesn't have a lot of iron and sulfur in it. No iron or sulfur. Okay. Right. Also, my granddaughter was climbing my Japanese maple the other day when we had one pretty day, and wherever she when she grabbed onto it, the bark came off. Yeah. So I'm looking at bare branch. Is that something I should paint with that black product that you use when you uh, sometimes chop off a limb of a tree? No, that stuff doesn't work. It used to have lead in it. And that's what uh-huh. it prevented bacteria problems and things like that. But if the bark has totally come off a branch all the way around 360 degrees, then right. regardless of what you do, that branch is dead. So you might as well oh, prune it. Okay. okay, and keep her out of the tree. Okay. Also, <laughs> um, I, I have a Kentucky Derby party every year, and I, I need to get my mint moving. Is there any particular kind of fertilizer I can feed that, that is, that's edible? that um, <clears throat> I could start fertilizing now to be sure that I have it by the first Saturday of May. So is this a mint that you have in your garden? Yes, yes. So I keep it in a pot to keep it contained. Yeah. A so, huge pot. Yeah, because it is so aggressive and invasive. I would say you I don't know, really need to... You know, it takes off on its own. I wouldn't worry too much about it. It's going to be temperature as much as anything. Generally, the herbs don't like to be fertilized. Sometimes it causes them more problems than good. I mean, a light application oh, really? of... Uh, you know, some organic-type fertilizer might be okay, but you probably don't even need that. So are you saying even in the summer with fresh herbs, they really should not be fertilized? Right, because a lot of times the fertilizer causes them to do, let's say, a bloated amount of growth. 
then consequently that okay. bloated growth doesn't have this, let's say, the taste, the smell, or whatever that that particular herb that you're fertilizing, whether it's sage, whether it's mints, whether it's creeping thyme, or whatever it happens to be. Oh, okay. Okay. Thank you very, very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, and if you, want to, if you have any questions, you always can go mm-hmm. to the Missouri Botanical Garden website and or contact the St. Louis Herb Society. Okay, I'll do that. Thank right. you so very much. I appreciate it. Certainly. Okay, now let's see. Why don't we head over to Illinois, first time today, Fairview Heights. Cindy, how are you? Hi, I'm fine. Thank you. Um, thank you for your service. I have three 17-year-old sugar maple trees in my backyard, which are beautiful. But they're starting to grow into each other, so I guess they're planted too close to one another. I don't know, but... I'm getting all this algae, like, on the trunks of my trees. And I also I have all this algae growing on the ground on the north side of my house. Um, what should I do about that? I no. mean, should I go in and trim the branches or? Nope. Don't do anything. No. The Nothing. lichen or moss or whatever is growing on your tree trunks, that's natural. It doesn't hurt oh. anything. They don't care. You know, so... You know, so be okay. it. What happens if the trees are planted too close and the branches start intertwining each other? Whichever tree is, let's say, the most aggressive or is positioned to get the most light, then that branch is going to be, you know, stronger and better, and it's going to cause the branch on the other tree to probably just the tree will compartmentalize it because it's not getting enough light and it's not helping the overall health of the tree just in general. And as far as in your lawn and everything else, uh, mosses and that kind of stuff, you might as well embrace them because you can fool around with so many different things and you're never going to change the chemistry of your soil enough to actually get rid of it permanently. So just uh, embrace the moss. Okay. Another question. Um, I've got uh, limbs that are pretty large that need to be trimmed on the bottom. Um, I've heard that if you trim too many uh, too many limbs, you get oh, what is that? Oh, it's too much stress on your tree. <clears throat> How many of those big limbs can you actually trim off? Well, it just at the bottom. It depends. You're talking about taking twenty different limbs off, or you're taking five no. off. Three large limbs at the bottom. That's no big deal. Basically, if large limbs, though, make sure that whoever does the cutting cuts them off in sections. The the furthest out would be one-third, then another one-third, and then the final cut is going to be at the trunk or wherever this particular limb is attached to, and you leave about a quarter to a half-inch stub. And that will expose a cambium layer, and that cambium layer is actually what causes that area to to heal and more or less create a scab. So don't try to cut it off and just with one cut. You're going to have to cut three different times. Three different times. Right. And when can I do this? Uh, with the maples, they like to be pruned in the summertime. In the summer? Yeah. Oh. Maples, That's birches, good. and beech trees like summer pruning, where other trees like to be pruned in the wintertime. So the reason for that is in the winter, the maples, birches, and beech trees, they, they'll lose a lot more sap. It probably doesn't hurt them in general, but it just seems to be better to prune them in the summertime. So after, okay. uh, you know, sometime around Memorial Day, all the way up until Labor Day. Okay, very good. Well, thank you very much. Certainly. We're going to save some gas and stay in Illinois. Chuck lives in Shiloh. Hey, Mike, good morning. How are you? I've been listening to you for 20 of those 25 years. Whoa. Thanks so much. I got a uh, 
got a 30-year-old pin oak that um, has started to, and it's, it doesn't seem like it's a characteristic for oaks, that, that the, the roots, some small roots are starting to girdle or gird each other. And so I'm, I'm, I'm trimming them off so they don't cut each other off. But is, uh, is, is that typical for, for an oak? Well, it's typical for any kind of tree, and especially trees or the, in a circumstance like what this region is full of, heavy-duty clay soils. So growing over the top of each other, I wouldn't be overly concerned with it. If you want to go out there and do it, you're just kind of doing it for yourself. You're really not helping the tree. Okay, got it. Thank you. Yeah, the, and uh, the only reason I brought that up is had a uh, had a maple, silver maple, that uh, girded itself, and we, we lost it a couple years ago. So I've always kind of just been on the lookout for it. So. Okay, got it. No big deal. I'll right. stop obsessing over my trees. Right. Basically, that probably maple had a, a root that went around and t- more or less around the trunk of the tree, not around other roots. And it could have cut it off, but uh, maybe the maple was just old anyway. Silver maples don't have a huge, you know, a huge long lifetime. Okay, Mike. Got it. Thank you so much. All right. Let's come back and go into Crestwood. Drew, how are you today? Martin and Afton, how are you? Uh, good morning, Mike. Uh, I got three questions about hybrid tea roses. Okay. The first one is, is, is it time to prune them back? Certainly you can prune them back now. But, I mean, you probably prune them going into the wintertime, correct? Yes. Okay. So you can cut them. You, the new growth should be pushing out, so you could prune them down. Just, you know, make the cut about a quarter inch to a half inch above where the new growth is pushing out of the stems. Okay. Uh, the other thing is, is I have one that seems to be growing from the graft itself. Ooh. Uh, it, it, do I just cut that off or do I replace it? Or it, it still has a little bit from the actual rose, but it seems to be part of it is from the grafted section. Yeah, from the grafted section is not good. I mean, you can yeah. check it out and see what's going to happen with it, but... Uh, you know, it's got to be the above the graph, basically. Okay. Uh, and then the third question is, I I killed one last year. <gasps> uh, uh, so I want to replace it with another hybrid tea. Planning-wise, I looked at the Botanical Gardens uh, guide on how to do that. Mm-hmm. They said something about alfalfa mix to put down in there. Do I really need that? I've got rose food and potting soil and everything else, and it's going in the ground. Yeah. Uh, do I need that? No, not really. I okay. mean, you could do it, but uh, that's you know that's just sort of an adding our organic you know quality to the ground just in general. So if you wanted to do it, yes, but uh, I don't know if you know if it's going to make all that much difference. I've got really good soil, so I'm not too worried about that actually. All right. All right. Thank you very much, Mike. Certainly, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Back after these messages. Get ready for the Cards and Brewers tonight. Amron Total Access 515. First pitch 610. Hear it here on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. KMOX. Baseball on the radio. Yes, folks, have any questions, concerns, or comments? 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. When you're putting your pre-emergent down, whether it says crabgrass preventer or a pre-emergent specifically, what you're getting rid of is seeds that are germinating of spurge, ragweed, purslane, knotweed, lamb's quarter, 
plus crabgrass, barnyard grass, goosegrass, foxtail, and some of the violets. This past Wednesday, actually, well, I had to do it two different times because I have a, a battery-powered mower. And my, I, own, I don't have a huge yard by any means. But when I cut my first cut of the year of my zoysia, I cut it really pretty short. And consequently, the mower gets really exhausted. So I ran the, I recharged the battery once, and then I kind of ran out of time because Tracy and I wanted to do something. So consequently, I had to finish off my mowing the first cut of the year, which I cut very close. What that does is also, besides and I, so many clippings from it, from the thatch and everything else, I almost filled an entire yard waste dumpster. And that's just from grass clippings. So it's kind of like, wow. But what it did also, it exposed a lot of the weeds that already started germinating. But the weeds that were germinating were the ones that germinated last August. The cool season weeds, the henbit, the chickweed, the annual bluegrass, the Persian speedwell. Now, the Persian speedwell has little tiny, probably even smaller than a, a pencil eraser, blue flowers and grows very flat. So even though I'm, you know, I'm under control, I'm trying to get all this stuff worked out, uh, what happens is there are some seeds that, uh, you know, do germinate. And so then I just go back and actually hand weed. So anyway, so the cool season weeds are doing well now. They germinated last fall. Those are the ones that you put the uh, pre-emergent down in August. Now, what the pre-emergent, again, that you're putting down this time of year when the forsythia is in bloom or if you have a soil thermometer when the temperature is about, oh, you know, between 50 and 55, you know, the plantain, the violets, the foxtail. I even saw a couple violets, and I've been going after those. Even though Tracy likes the violets, she likes the blue flowers and everything, which is great, but they're just a little bit too aggressive. So I think I just, you know, I don't tell her I dig, dig them up or I kill them, so. She, and she never listens to Garden Hotline, though, no, anyway. Let's go now to Dee Dee, and Dee Dee lives in O'Fallon, Missouri. Hi, Dee Dee. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I have a question. I have young forsythias in our backyard that are ready to bloom. Mm -hmm. Should I cover them tonight with sheets so that they don't freeze? Uh, I wouldn't think so. No? If you want okay. to. I mean, you can make everybody in the neighborhoods think you've got ghosts in your yard. <laughs> But beyond that, you're not going to – it's – you know, they're pretty tough. Now, if the are flowers they? were – yeah, if the flowers were fully out, I might. But if the buds are still just pushing out, then I wouldn't worry too much about it. Okay. And also regarding my lawn, um, for the first mowing of the year, should I mulch the grass or use a catcher? Uh, you mean you have a mulching mower? Yes. Uh, probably uh, – what, what type of grass do you have? Uh, it's a fescue mix. Uh, depends upon how low you're cutting it. Probably my tendency would be probably cut it about two inches or so. And for, okay. And if you want to bag it, that's fine. I don't know how big your, your lawn is or anything else. But sometimes, like with me, it's in a city yard, my lawn, like I said, I filled a yard waste dumpster with just grass clippings from my zoysia. So it um. might be... Uh, you know, a huge amount. Now, of course, you can always turn that into compost and other things as well. But I would think if you have a mulching mower, then that should be adequate. Okay. And as far as height, should I, should it be, you said about two inches yeah, or two so? Yeah, inch, two to two and a half inches. Don't scalp okay. it down too close. Okay. 
Thank you so much. Yeah, because, I mean, scalp down, you know, lawn, it's just, it sets up a scenario where it makes the, the invasion of the weeds a lot easier. So that's kind of the problem with uh, when the lawn is cut too close and consistently cut too close, then it just sets up a situation where the weeds, all kinds of weeds can just get in there and cause you real heartache. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Right. And now let's head to John, and John's in Illinois. Hi, John. Hey, I'm Warren Mike. How you doing? Good. Hey, I got a question. I got some, some pompous grass and some ornamental grasses in my landscaping. Should I cut that down, or is it okay to burn that burn that off? Uh, I don't know. I guess you can burn there, or else you wouldn't be asking that question. I would say you're probably yeah. better off to cut it. Because you may cause some damage because there may be some new shoots already coming up because we've had some warm weather. But, uh, you know, you can, t- you can basically just, uh, you know, you want to, depending upon what type of grass it is, some of the ornamental grasses you want to cut a little bit low, like about three or four inches. Other ones you can do about six or eight inches. And just realize okay. that the, the new growth is going to be on the perimeter for the most part because they're all clump growers. Right, right. So I burned some last year, and it didn't grow back as full. Ah. So that might have been the problem. Also, in one spot in my landscape, and I've got a spot that seems to hold water a little more, and whatever I've been planting there has died. Do you have any suggestions on what can can take more water in the soil? You mean as far as a shrub-wise? Is that what you're looking at? Yeah. Yeah, shrub, like an evergreen. Okay. Basically, there's a shrub called Ilex, I-L-E-X, Ilex glabra, G-L-A-B-R-A. What that is is inkberry, and it is a holly. It doesn't have the classic holly look. It doesn't have the classic berry. It has a blackberry, but it's native to the swamp, swampy areas of Missouri and Illinois both. So look at the inkberries and maybe get a variety that has a third name after the Ilex glabra. So it's an inkberry, but you want an improved variety so it doesn't get quite as you know wild and rangy. And if you right, and if you want something that's deciduous, there's a, a shrub called red twig dogwood, which is a dogwood family, but the, the twigs are really bright red. So maybe a combination of those two things would make the, the area you know look a little bit better. Cool. Thanks, sir. Certainly. So red twig dogwood and inkberry. Perfect. Thank you. Yep. And let's stay with the name John. Only this John is in Chesterfield. Good morning. Hi. I got questions about perennials and annual bluegrass. I've grown perennials for a long, long time, but they've always been transplanted from established gardens, so they all bloomed the first year I had them in. This first time I'm going to try to start them from scratch. What can I expect? Were they blooming all this year, or what do I do? From scratch, meaning from seed? No, from uh, I got hollyhock and lily of the valley, so it's like a, a bulb and a root. Okay, basically the hollyhock's a biennial, so the first year it definitely won't flower, and so consequently, all of them probably you're better off anyway. The first year they're in the ground while they're getting acclimated, you're better off not to let them. Uh, flower. So and even even though you're going, I'm growing it to get the flowers. Flowering really stresses plants. Young plants are going to have a harder time 
you know, acclimating to the whole situation. So just, you know, sort of forego the flowers for this year with the idea that you're having a stronger plan for the future. But again, the, the hollyhocks are biennials. No matter what you do, you're not going to have flowers in the first year anyway. Okay. Is, would it be a problem if I just sprinkled some seed for annuals around the planting bed so I got some color this year? Uh, depends upon what kind of annual seeds. Uh, well, give me a clue. I, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you one that I really like that I do that very same thing with is uh, sweet alyssum. Oh. It grows kind of low. There's a yeah, white. I know what it is. Yeah, a white and a some. purple. <laughs> and, uh, you know, great fragrance. It self seeds, but uh, that one works very well for me. So if I see any spots in, let's say, you know, where I have some sedum acre between the, the driveway and the street, I just get a pack of, you know, sweet alyssum and sprinkle some of the seeds in there, and it really infills pretty darn quickly. Okay. Uh, the annual bluegrass. I've been told that I've got some of that in my uh, lawn, and I've looked it up online, and they keep showing these pictures of when it's going to seed, but what is it supposed to look like now? It just looks like kind of very dark, dark green grass blades, like tiny clumps, like uh, maybe an inch across will be each clump. I've got, there's a lot of, what looks like dead blades of grass in the yard. Would that would it look like that no, at all? No, it's green now. It's a cool oh. season weed that actually started germinating and growing last August. It grows through the entire winter time, and now it's really going to start huffing and puffing so it can produce a seed like you've seen pictures of, so it can self-seed and drop the seed so it can come back next year. And they're all saying, everything I've read says it does it very late in the summer. Is it like it, Am I get the correct information? Well, I don't know about that. That's when oh. the seeds start germinating. The seeds are oh. produced prior to that. So the seeds, a cool season weed like henbit, the annual bluegrasses, shepherd's purse, all those things, what they do is they'll keep going until the weather starts getting hot and then the mother plant dies, but or the father plant. I don't want to sound like sexist. <laughs> but, uh, well, so, if it's going to be, if it's going to put out seed, it's the mother plant. Yeah, that's true. So anyway, <laughs> consequently, the seeds will just lay there unless you put a, you know, and they'll come up next, like late August, early September. Okay. Well, one other thing that about two weeks ago when the lady was giving you all that uh, problems, I was about ready to call and talk about how what I used for a uh, batting practice. <laughs> Are you talking about the mole circumstance? <laughs> the what? <laughs> Moles? <laughs> yeah. Ah. <laughs> Oh, it sounds cool. <laughs> well, thanks. You're welcome. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. We've got about eight minutes or so in this hour, and then the tip of the trial hour is coming up next. We're headed to Festus. Hi, Mel. Hello, Mel. Are you there? I'm. A, I'm. A, hello. Hello. Are, can you hear me? Yes. Um, I planted. There are about seven to eight foot seedling trees last year, and I want to know what what should I concentrate this year on their care as far as fertilizer. I know keeping them watered. I just kind of need a one hundred and one on them. Basically, if you planted them properly, and so in other words, you dug the hole wide enough, 
and the top yes, part sir. and the top part of the crown. So in other words, where the root system and the trunk meet is above the surrounding ground. You got about two or three inches of mulch over them. No fertilizer this time, you know, within the first year or two. That's not going to do any good. Okay. Okay. Can I ask a question? Should I not? I've got compost. I shouldn't put compost on them either. Well, you could do that. You could use that for a mulch. But uh, the, That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I mean, uh, basically the lateral root growth is not enough or adequate enough because what I call deep root feeding is where you go out and you auger holes and then backfill those holes with compost, but that's on mature trees that have some lateral root growth. These brand I new, got you. These brand-new uh, sap, saplings or seedlings are not going to do anything. They probably have no lateral root growth yet at all. They do have buds. They're, they're flowering. They're crab apples. Uh, and cherry. That's perfect. And I'm so so I know I I dug deep uh, deep enough. You know what I'm saying, and yeah. left the um, grow growth that growth ball on. Well, it sounds to me like just keep them watered. If I want to put mulch on them, I can. Right. But don't do anything as far as any deep fertilizing no, or anything. No. It won't do any good. Right. Exactly. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. You have a have a good summer. Okay. Bye bye. All right. Party on. Let's go to West County. Barb. Hello, Barb. Hello. Hello. Hi. This is uh, Barb in North County. Oh, North County. Yeah. Oh, James. James wrote West County. He wants you to move. (laughs) Okay. I have a question about viburnum. I'm not sure of the variety. Uh, Actually, they reside in Collinsville, Illinois, at my son's house. Um, They're about four or five years old. The last couple of years, they've become pretty sparse. They don't lose their leaves in the winter, but they continue to grow these big shoots right out of the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, we were told the bushes would get anywhere between six to eight foot at full maturity. Right. The only thing that's six to eight foot is the shoots. Right. The actual bush is maybe four foot. Is there anything that um, we could do to maybe kind of get them to fill out a little bit. Uh, we do cut the shoots off, but they just come back and the bush never really gets any thicker or bigger. Uh, basically, uh, what you probably need to do is stop cutting those shoots off. Okay. Le- leave them alone because what they do is they produce leaves. Leaves will help the health of the plant. Also, you know, if they're four feet, about a foot out or so from where the probably the root ball is, tell him mm-hmm. to get an electric drill, auger some holes, and put some compost down in those holes. And okay. this, these are probably leather leaf viburnums, and they're a little bit iffy anyway here in our region. You'll see some great, big, huge, successful ones, but there's other ones that just limp along for their entire life. So it's not okay. one of the ideal shrubs for here. Okay. Um, what would be an ideal viburnum for that area? Uh, ba- all the rest of them are, pre- are deciduous. So if he's looking for something evergreen, uh, he's not going to get it with the viburnums. Okay, no, we really weren't looking for anything that was evergreen, just something that would, um, you know, it was kind of like used as a backdrop for some um, rhododendrons and um, hydrangeas and things like that that was kind of up on the back edge of the garden. But Well, I mean, you could do, is it in sun or shade? It's mostly shade. Okay. It does get some sun, but not a whole lot. Yeah, so that's, you know, that's a little bit of a tough circumstance. Um, I would say... I would just leave these because you've got them in the ground, you've worked with them, and just kind of, you know, play with them a little bit longer. Okay. And don't prune any of the shoots that are coming off. Okay. 
Will do. All right. right, Well, thank you very much. Great. Okay. Bye-bye. Good luck. And now let's go to South County. Hi, Glenn. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I'm calling about a fescue lawn. I usually uh, bag all my clippings to control the thatch buildup. And uh, I was wondering about, like, in the spring when you put your fertilizer or your pre-emergent down, is it better for the first couple cuttings to uh, let to mulch it and let those clippings go back in the ground? It's r- Routinely, that's the best thing always because you're going to find some, you know, fertilizer content in the tips of all the grass blades that have been cut off. So thatch is not really, you know, grass blades that have been mowed. Thatch is just dead grass blades that naturally happens within a lawn circumstance. So that's why it doesn't really help in, you know, to actually bag your clippings. If you want to do it, that's fine. But if you just routinely cut and your clippings are one inch or so, no longer than that, then you should not have to bag them at all unless you just like to. Well, you know, I've heard that before, and uh, um, even when I do bag my clippings, I'm amazed in, in the fall when I do detach my lawn, mm-hmm. how many dead, how much dead grass I bring up. It's just amazing. Right. That's a dead, just that's, you know, has nothing to do with clippings. That shows you how much there actually is. But if it's down there on the ground, it doesn't really hurt, you know, hurt all that much. Okay. Well, I just thought it helped the water to get down if that wasn't there. No, so. When you put fertilizer down, if you're putting a granular-type fertilizer, you water it in anyway. So that's you know causes it to penetrate down into the ground. Okay. Thanks. Yep. Appreciate it. And uh, we probably won't be able to get another call in this uh, hour, but we do have another hour of the Garden Hotline. Again, the weeds that you're seeing in your lawn or your landscape, your planting beds and everything else, those are the cool season weeds that germinated last August. So you can get rid of them with like a weed-be-gone type thing because it'll kill them, or you can hand-dig them. They're still pretty small. And, I mean, you can, they're really little, you know, tough to get rid of. Ultimately, but whether it's henbit, whether it's chickweed, the annual bluegrass, shepherd's purse, rabbit's foot clover, lot you know, there's several more, but those are the main ones that we're going to find in our lawns here. So consequently, that's what you're seeing. You know, you look down and you go, what are these sort of broadleaf-looking things? Well, this is probably what you're seeing. And there are certainly perennial weeds that are coming up. Dandelions, they're coming up, and other things as well. Also... It's a battle. There's no getting around it. It's nothing's easy here. As I continue to say, it's a marathon, and uh, you just have to keep going and going and going. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. See you after the news. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Celebrating 25 years as your host of the Garden Hotline, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline. Tip of the trowel hour, and I'll be giving the tip of the trowel shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. Mr. Kelly, before you head out. Uh, you said the newsroom was freezing. Yes. You have a window open on there? Well, we don't have a window in there. Are you kidding me? Oh, I thought you did. No, they don't you know, want us jumping out. Since it's so out. cold outside, maybe somebody was letting some cold air in. No, it's just, it's brutally cold in there. I'm really? glad I wore a sweater. I may have to get my coat. 
That's the thing. You never know when you come to work. You know, it could be hot outside. It's freezing inside. The other way around, you never know. And right. it's cold in there this morning. Is it? Yes. Oh. So I'm going to build a fire. Then I got a news story, too. Uh, all right. Yeah. Sounds cool. How's that? <laughs> Let me know when you're going to light it. I, I will. see it. I will. <laughs> Great. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Folks, by the way, thanks for having me on your show. And we can discuss plant selection, the ups and downs of the annuals. 28 degrees, if it gets down that cool, the pansies that you have out there, they could care less. The bulbs, they could care less either. So whether they're in flower or not, those plants are tough. Cool season vegetables, they're probably pretty tough as well. How's your ground covers doing? Your house plants, your lawn, your perennials, your roses, trees, shrubs, water gardens. Well, I'll share my thoughts with you, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but it's strictly offered to you to sort of like think about. James is producing today, and uh, during the week I spend my time doing landscape consulting and sometimes on the weekends as well. I come to your home and we can discuss problem solving, uh, aesthetic situations, whatever it happens to be, individual plants. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com on the homepage. You'll see my email address and phone number, and you can contact me to do a walk and talk. I'll come over and share 40-plus years of experience related to the outdoors. So Tip of the Trial is a special recognition for an individual group or situation that's made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Missouri Botanical Garden, it's several different things. It's not only a botanical garden here in the city and in all the surrounding buildings, but it's also the Shaw Nature Reserve, Preserve, or Reserve out in uh, Gray Summit and the Butterfly House in Faust Park. Well, coming up April 5th at the Botanical Garden, Saki and Sakura. They celebrate the beauty of spring, the season of uh, by sipping sake underneath the cherry blossoms, the Sakura. And that's in the Japanese Garden at the Botanical Garden of Sewa Inn. So also early in April, Dash, Daffodil Dash, 5K Trail Run. And that's at the Shaw Nature Reserve. And so, and then, then during the whole month of April and May, Spring Fling, you can join people at the Butterfly House or host at various activities that celebrate pollinators, native flowers, all things that make spring so beautiful. So that shows you the diversity of the locations, very different things. You can have some sake at the Botanical Garden, and then a couple days later, the next day, you can head out to Shaw Nature Reserve and do a five-mile trail run and then head out to the Botanical Garden. Uh, not the Botanical Garden. Uh, Fowles Park for the Butterfly House. So all kinds of different stuff going on out there. Why don't we take a couple calls before we take a break? Let's go to John, and John lives in Hazelwood. Hi, John. Hey, John, are you there? go to Carol in Smithton, Illinois. Yes, uh, this is me. I was wondering, uh, I have a nice big yard that is full of molds, the molds, holes, and tunnels. Mm -hmm. Should I have someone come and level out the yard before I plant some grass? And, you know, the yard is terrible. Because you walk around, you can fall. Yeah. Leveling it off is not going to do anything. Huh? If you oh, level it off, it doesn't do anything. The moles can oh, care so less. Oh, so you mean they're going to come back this they're year? They're still there. Yes, they're yeah. there. They just went well, 
they went well, deeper in the wintertime, you know, because it was cold. Right, but, right. And then the, what their main diet is is earthworms. So uh-huh. as soon as the earthworms come up closer to the surface and start crawling, the moles will, they, they just had a bunch of babies, too. The moles will start yeah. looking for the earthworms. So if you flatten that down, it's not going to do a darn thing. Oh, my goodness. Well, the, I don't know what I could do to fight those things. Well, there's several different types of traps that you can use. And, uh, I mean, you have to set the traps on active runs and that type thing. Mm -hmm. But, no, it's terrible. I do not like the molds. (laughs) (laughs) And and I like to have my lawn with beautiful grass. What what, uh, could you tell me a good name of grass right now? Uh, Basically, the fescues are the toughest grasses for this region. But, again, I mean, the molds, they don't care. So, yeah, well, I live in I live in Illinois. I know. Oh, okay. So when you cross the Mississippi River, it doesn't mean right. all that much. You lived in yes. Smithton. Uh-huh. So. But no, you have a wonderful show. I've been listening to you many a years. Well, thank you. And there <laughs> As is... I used to live over in St. Louis, too. <laughs> well, great, but I mean... Okay, thank you. Yeah, you have moles, a wonderful summer. The moles like your yard because you well, yeah. it's a nice yard. And mm-hmm. if it wasn't a nice yard, the moles wouldn't be there. The reason why the moles wouldn't be there is because there would be no earthworms for them to eat. Mm, so I grub control and all that other stuff, grubs are like, let's say, they don't move around all that much, so moles can't hear them like they can hear the earthworms. Mm. So consequently, what they do is if they're tunneling around towards the sound of an earthworm and they come across a millipede or a grub, that's like an appetizer. So that's right. what they, they eat them. So grub control does not get rid of moles. Well, I have I have several flowers along the one fence that I take care of too, and that and they come back every year, and that and of course there's more of them, and uh, my daughter said the one was a Easter lily, mm. is what she called it, a lily is what it is, and it's like I say, it gets more and more every year. Right. I mean the so. Easter lilies for you know Easter's coming up, so if you do get some Easter lilies when they finish flowering. Just cut the flowers off and plant the bulb outside. It's a tough, hardy bulb that can grow in our region. Right. That's why I say, you know, I get the weeds all out of it all the time. Right. And, that, that, and I thank you very much, and you have a wonderful day today and a beautiful summer. Well, thank you very much. Let's see if we can get one more call in before we take a break. Matt in Columbia, Illinois. Hi, Matt. Hello, Matt. Are you there? Guess not. So why don't we go ahead and take a break. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Local news from St. Louis's news, traffic, and weather station, KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones. We're headed down to Cape Girardeau. Whoa. And Mike, how are you? I'm good. Thank you, Mike. Great. Uh, my yard is full of zoysia, like yours is. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, why do you cut it so short the first time? That's basically to get rid of all the... Some of the grass blades get longer, and they seem to... They'll mat down if I don't cut it. And so that's... It's recommended by, you know, true professionals to cut the first cut, making it pretty short. 
the only, you know, the problem is my yard is not exactly totally smooth. So I have my front yard's level and then it slopes down to the sidewalk. That cut along there, I scalp it pretty, you know, pretty low at that in a couple different locations. So uh, that's a little bit of a heartache, but that's why I do it is just to get rid of the, you know, let's say the initial thatch. And I bag them and then, you know, take the bags, uh, you know, back to uh, the yard waste dumpster. Okay, very good. Yeah. Thank you for your show. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, you could rake it, but the the blades seem to hang on, but the mowing is what's recommended by the true professionals. Let's go from Cape Girardeau all the way out to St. Charles. Ed, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Um, I had a couple questions here on my... I have two flower beds. They're about 4 foot by 18, and every year I put impatience in. And, you know, they had a disease about five years ago and the impatience that got into the dirt and the soil. And on the east side of the house, I still get them. They grow. I probably go about three feet high. On the west side, between the garage and the sidewalk, I just can't get them to take off anymore. And I was wondering, I heard you talk about the, the flowers with the seed, you know, just throw the seed down. Right. You think that would work over there? And do I need to pull the mulch back? Throw it on the on the dirt and then cover it again with mulch. Uh, yeah, especially if your mulch, you know, you sh- when you're putting seed down, you don't really want to put it down on top of mulch. And when you put okay. seed down, you don't want to put too much mulch. So, like, if you're going to put it back, you only want to put like maybe a quarter inch or a half inch at the <clears> most, and then let the plants come up in it. It'd be ideal okay. if you could just take the mulch off and just scatter the seeds. That would be. You know, and before you did it, I would certainly heavy rake the area that you're talking about. So okay. you, could, I, you could use a garden rake, and uh, you don't have to turn it over the rototiller or anything, but just scar the surface of the soil pretty darn good. Well, you know, I brought new dirt in. Did you hear about that disease about five years oh, yeah, ago? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Patients? Yes. And, you know, I've had them as high as 42 inches. You know, I plant them every foot and then stagger them six inches. Sure. Those beds would be about 120 flowers. And I'm just so frustrated on that one side, I just can't get them to take off again. So I, I heard you talking about the, the flower. What was that, a sweet? Sweet, sweet alyssum. Now, this is a plant that it can take a light shade circumstance, but it really prefers a, you know, a sunny location. And that's what it's going to get. Sweet alyssum? Yes, a a-L-Y-S-S-U-M. Sweet alyssum. There's a white and a purple both. Okay. Just throw them out there. and they, I mean, they're going to, what, be six, seven, eight inches tall? Yeah, they, they're pretty much uh, maybe not six or seven, maybe th- probably, let's say, three to five inches. They're just going to give me ground cover. That yeah, it's a ground cover. It looks like a, sh- a sea of white or purple, depending upon, or if you mix it together. I mean, it is okay. a total mat. All right, well, those impatience have been good to me for years, and now I've just had enough. So <laughs> I'm going to try that, all right? All right, sounds great. Thanks for your help. Bye-bye. Yep. And now let's go to John in Illinois. Hi, John. Hey, hello. Hi. Uh, I have a huge pin oak in my yard. It's about four foot in diameter, and it's full of galls. And uh, the tree trimmer says if I cut back three or four feet on each limb, the tree might come back out. Is that true? Well, that's, uh, I wouldn't do it. I mean, it's not, what's, why do you want to just cut it off? Well, I, I either have to cut the tree down. I mean, um, the, the tree can survive with the galls. 
Okay. So, I mean, so, it's an aesthetic uh, call more so than anything else. Now, if the galls get so huge and so many on a branch, it causes branches to crack, then that's when the problem, because in moisture, rain, whatever, can get into the cracks and cause some heartwood rot or things like that. But just overall, okay. the galls in and of themselves, are, I mean, they're ugly, but that's, I mean, people don't like it because, you know, if they're near the tip of the branches, then, the, the, you know, they'll fall on the ground and all this other stuff. But in reality, yeah. it doesn't really, it won't kill the tree per se. Okay, just let it go then. All right, thank you very much. Yep. Yeah. I mean, wonderful just, show. Well, thank you. And just cutting the branches back, that's not going to do anything. I mean, these, these crazy wasps, even though we don't think of them as a classic type wasp, that cause these galls. They just hang around the same tree where they were born, so so not going to do it. It's a beautiful tree, and I mean, it's like it's four foot in diameter, about ninety foot tall. It's wow. huge, and uh, I don't want to kill it, but right. uh, I'll just let it go then. All right, right thank you. All right. All right, yeah, and if you want to go ahead and get the next generation of uh, you know trees, oaks, just don't plant a red oak, plant a white oak or something like that, so because they don't get the gall problem like the pin oaks do. And Scott lives in Crestwood. Hi, Scott. Mike, thank you for this wonderful program. Right. I uh, I need I need your help. Um, we just lost our uh, Bradford pear tree. We had it for about 18, 20 years. And I was wondering if you could re- make a recommendation of uh, something as a replacement, please. And you don't want to replace it with just another Bradford pear? That I mean, they're going to give you multiple years before they start getting whatever, you know. I mean, they start splitting and ice storms and things like that. So, I mean, if, you, if you've liked it that much, there's nothing wrong with putting another one in there. If not, if you don't want, if you don't want to do that, you could probably put in, there's various varieties of crab apples that will do. They're not going to get as big. They're not going to be as upright. And uh, there's some magnolias. There's a star magnolias that are blooming. They're starting to bloom right now, which is the, the white one. And then there's the purple, the saucer magnolias. So if you're looking for spring flowering, but they're not going to give you quite the foliage that the Bradford pear does, that glossy foliage in the summertime. And they're not going to give you the foliage fall color either. And that's what we uh, we really liked about the uh, Bradford pear. Right. Just a beautiful tree. And uh, uh, obviously, in the springtime, you only get about a week uh, of the white, uh, beautiful tree. But in the fall, the uh, when it turns red, it's just absolutely gorgeous. Right. And we're just sick that we lost the tree. And we were hoping that maybe you could... Uh, so you're saying we should just go ahead and put up another one? Yeah, I mean, don't put it right on the you know right in the same spot because uh, the competition, even though the stump's been ground out or whatever, where the existing you know, root systems are going to compete with it. But if you really like them, you know, I mean, so what if they only last, let's say, 15 years before the storms, ice storms, causing problems, or you know, other blights or things like that. Uh, 15 years, you don't probably have a couch that old, a car that old. I mean, that's not all that bad, to be honest. Okay. Well, several people said, well, don't put another one in. And uh, uh, I trust you. You you do a marvelous job. And I thank you. I thank you very much. And also, congratulations. What is it, 30 years? No, just, well, 30 years, but 25 years officially. 25. Right. All right, Mike. Enjoy your weekend. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's just a question of, you know, there are problems with them. 
uh, there's just it's just if you really like something, it's just kind of it's like buying the same car, the same type of furniture, the same type of clothes or anything else. If you like it, that's what you should get. I mean, yes, there are inherent problems with the Bradford pears. Some of the newer varieties are a little bit more resistant to some of the troubles, but um, that's kind of the way it goes. Let's go now to Barb, and Barb is in Fairview Heights. Hi, Barb. Hello. Um, I have a couple questions. One is I would like I, I like sweet potato vines and want to put them in some hanging baskets. Instead of purchasing them, is there a way to start them from the you know, like the produce potatoes you buy at the, you know, grocery store. They're not the classic sweet potatoes they're, that you're, that what you want as far as they're not going to give you the colorful foliage. They are in the same family as the morning glories, so they would give you the same, let's say, flower, but that's not, aesthetically, from a foliage standpoint, they're not going to give you what you expect. Okay. All right. And... In the past, I have used Roundup to control uh, weeds and, you know, just growth that I get in my landscaping. Is that still advisable to continue using Roundup or should I switch to something else? It's a it's personal call. I mean, a lot of people, the glyphosate has, you know, been taken a very, very, you know, man, maybe rightly so, given, uh, say, a beating. But, you know, still it's used considerably. And I personally, I started using Roundup when I was at the Botanical Garden starting in this, you know, 1977. And so I've not stopped using it since then. That's not to say I'm advocating it or anything else, but I think okay. it's, it's really very good. Okay. All right. I, that's what I need to know. Okay. Thank you for your help. Certainly. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Get ready for the Cards and Brewers tonight. Emerald Total Access 515. First pitch 610. Hear it here on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. KMOX. Baseball on the radio. Yes, folks, after the Garden Hotline's over at 10 o'clock, the Rick Edelman Show, 10 to 11. 11 o'clock, the Helotech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show. Then 1 o'clock, Rick Edelman again, and 3 o'clock, The Business of Family Business with Ryan Recker, and 4 o'clock, Health Matters presented by SSM Health with Fred Bonimer. So all kinds of stuff going on before the Cardinal Baseball, the Blues, and then the Cardinals. So all kinds. Woo! This station is pretty wild. Let's go to Kermit's Yard in Illinois. Hi, Kermit. Hey, Mike. Um, I need to get some grass planted. And my first question, is it too late to plant perennial or should I just put some annual down? No, it's plenty of time. I mean, you can uh, put, you know, sometimes it could be a little bit early. And especially, do, uh, hopefully you haven't put any kind of pre-emergent down because that will kill any kind of seed that you put down or any kind of seed that's there like weed seed. So, no, this uh, is, a, you got pr- basically from this point forward up until, let's say maybe the 1st of May or so. And the reason why I'm saying that date is so the root system can get established before the heat of the summer comes around. Okay, well, you don't have to worry about pre-emerging because I still have to uh, spread some fill and grade it, and the fill is mostly clay. So my next question, should I till some compost into that clay? Absolutely. Yeah, don't just throw seed down on just something that you've spread. That won't do a bit of good. All right. And then some other areas have been compacted by a tractor and, a, and a, uh, an excavator. 
I can take a four-foot tiller and till a few inches into that just to loosen it up before I put the seed down. Yeah, and yeah. I would also add some, you know, topsoil compost mix in that area you know, before you put the seed. Okay, and then I'll put the seed down. Should I cover it with a little compost? Yes, ideally that would be perfect. Great. Hey, thank you very much, and I won't take up any more of your time. <laughs> well, thank you. And let's go from Illinois to Creve Coeur, Gene's yard. Hi, Gene. Hi there. Uh, I've started harvesting my own seed and plant, then planting them in the next spring. Mm-hmm. And I use those small peat pots. What is the best soil for me to use in there? Uh, potting mix for starting plants. So it'll say that right on the bag. So it's for starting seed or cuttings or anything like that. Okay. I got one more. Uh, I brought back some bromeliad from Florida, and I've got to divide a couple of them. Uh, and, and they say to use really well-drained soil. What would work for there? Uh, just, uh, you know, any kind of potting mix would be fine. Bromeliads, a lot, most of the time, they don't grow in the ground. They grow on the sides of trees and things like that. But these are ones that grow in the soil. Well, they advise me at this latitude to just plant the whole pots and then bring the pots in in the winter. Yeah, they can't survive outside, for sure. Yeah. Okay, thanks a lot. Yep. And, uh, you know, a lot of times bromeliads, they can grow virtually. That's why they call them air plants. Some of them just, you know, you don't even have to grow them in anything. But, you know, but depending upon the variety that you got, uh, just so it's a very well-drained, you know, potting mix, not potting soil. I was just wandering through a, a flea market down there and saw these and fell in love. All so right. I, I thought I'd give them a shot. Perfect. Thank you. Yep, and more information on the bromeliads, you can go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website, and they'll give you all the information you need. Okay, thanks. Yep. And Good day. Bye. Let's go to Bill in Illinois. Yes, I have a, a – this is my first year of a new lilac and also a rhododendron that's a, a veteran – should I cover those tonight and the magnolia? Should I cover those tonight? Because it's going to freeze. Yeah, it's getting down to 28. Uh, the yeah. rhododendron, the buds are probably not pushing out all that much, so it should be t- you know tight. The lilac might be pushing out some foliage. You could cover them if you wanted to, but uh, you know I don't know if it's if you want to, you can. I yeah, I just don't think it's going to be all that much helpful. Okay. Definitely, if you do cover them, don't cover them with plastic. Cover them with like a you know a sheet like a bed sheet. Okay, and then um, what, what 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 why was there so much strawberry kill this winter? Out of out of uh, twenty five plants I had last year, I got about eight left. It was that's that really severe cold that came. Okay, that was brutal to you know lots of strawberry plants and some other things too as well. Okay. And I appreciate your show. Well, thank you. And send us some uh, warm. I'm tired of freezing. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. That's why I wear shorts year-round, even when it's 30 below, because yeah. I try to deny there is a winter. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Jacqueline lives in Frontenac. Hi, Jacqueline. Hi. It's Hi. Jacqueline in Frontenac. Hi. Hi, Mike. I, to my surprise, the other day I went walking in my yard and I saw a hole uh, in the yard about at least a foot deep and uh, half a foot wide. Uh, I can't imagine how it got there. 
Yeah, me either. A foot deep and a half a foot wide, so six inches around and a foot deep. Right. I was shocked. I thought, my gosh, if I had stepped in it, <laughs> you know, what? Oh, you don't know what kind of an animal did that or what I should do? Uh, sounds to me like a dog. You know, I mean, that big of a hole. I mean, raccoons, skunks, and things like that, they can come and dig holes. Well, skunks mainly rut. Moles, this is not a mole hole because they're not going to be digging from the ground, you know, from the surface down in a hole. I don't know what this could be, to be honest. Now, one day I saw three deer walking through my yard. Could that have anything to do with them? No, they really don't dig. (laughs) Okay. They're not into digging. Uh Uh-huh. So no, I can't guess what you know what that could be. Like I said, just a dog of some sort would be my guess. Okay, all right, Mike. Thank you. Certainly. Now let's go to Winsville into Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. Uh, I got a beautifully uh, shaped uh, little leaf linden. A couple years ago, the beetle—I'm guessing it's Japanese. I'm not sure, but they attacked it and got it to where I, you would know they got. All the holes eaten through all the leaves except for the spines. Does that a lot, sound like the little leaves? Yes. I mean, the. Uh, Certainly could be a Japanese beetle. So, uh, the last year I got those beetle sex traps and put them like 30 yards away from that tree. Apparently, the whole idea is. And the bags filled up. Uh, I was filling up the bags with the dead beetles. Right. But, you know, I mean, rurally, and I was attracting every beetle within how many miles, and they were still in the tree. It's just because I'm trapping them doesn't mean they're not eating my tree, too. And it also about the same thing happened. And this year, I'm worried I may lose that thing. Uh, any advice for me? Uh, basically, the arch ground stopped using, you know, they were using it for emerald ash borer. But uh, what it is, yes, it does attract the males because it's those traps smell like females. But also it attracts more in because they can sense that there is there. And so the ones that aren't necessarily attracted to the trap are just, you know, de- you know, devastating. What you might look at is like one of those bonide products that a systemic type insecticide that you mix up in water and you pour it around the base of the tree. It goes up through the vascular system. And then as an insect feeds on foliage or whatever, it kills it that way. Oh, I love that idea. You got a name for me, a brand, something I can look at? Yeah, just look at the Bonide products. Bonide? Yeah, B-O-N-I-D-E. Bonide. Thank you so much. Love your show. Well, thank you. Bye-bye. And I guess I should have told them, you know, specifically which one, but uh, uh, let's go now to Paul in St. Charles. Hi, Paul. Hi, Mike. A couple questions. Um, Get ready to reseed. I've done it many times manually with aerators and what have you. But there's a, a product, of, a piece of equipment called a slit seeder or overseeder. Right. But um, um, I'm real confused looking at it because it's got little knives that cut little slits into the gr- into the yard. Right. But then the seed the seed on this piece drops in front of the machine. That means the seed has to go down first and then the blades run over the top of it. It seems like it would destroy the seed. Is no, that right or wrong? No, it doesn't destroy the seed at all. All it does is the seed's there and then the blades, the slit seeder cuts and that gives it a chance for the seed just to, you know, either rain or whatever to wash it down to get it in better contact with the soil as opposed to in contact with whatever's on the surface of the ground that you're actually putting the seed on. And then every year, I've, uh, I mean, I have to reseed every year as one of those yards. Right. And uh, um, 
I've been told that I don't shouldn't fertilize after I seed. I should wait a while. Why is that? Well, I don't know what why they would say that because they have specifically specifically formulated fertilizers called seed starters, and you put it down right after you put the seed down. Yeah, that's what I'm. I'm buying jump starter. It says. Yeah. So I don't know why people and would tell you that. They say well, the reason they told me is to wait for the uh, seed to germinate before. Be- you put fertilizer down. No, I, and I've heard this a couple times. Well, I mean, I guess that's a way to do it, but to me, you just do it kind of all at once. You put the yeah, you know, me too. You can make it Hi, as complicated. Friend, yeah, okay, my friend. Thank you. Yep, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we got about, oh, 10 minutes or so. Not quite 10 minutes, but if you have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's jump to Illinois. Hi, Eric. How are you today? Hey, good morning, Mike. Thanks for taking the call. Sure. Um, i got two quick questions for you. Um, one, last year we tried to create kind of a natural barrier between um, kind of our house and a neighbor's house, and we put some lattice work up next to a short fence. We planted five or six clematis vines and and they took off they did pretty well but they stayed pretty leggy and uh, and it really never created that barrier that we were hoping for but we did notice this year that there's new sprouts coming my question is do those thicken up in year two and can we expect kind of the results that we were looking for or do we have maybe the the, the wrong approach uh basically they're not going to thicken up in one or two or three years. Usually it's three to five years when the clematis start getting mature. But what you can do is plant some annual vines in conjunction with the clematis. So like, uh, let's say, morning glory, let's say moonflower, hyacinth bean vine, something along that line, because they will fill the vacuum in while the clematis is still getting mature. Now you'd have to replant those seeds from those annual vines every year until the clematis is giving you what you want. Great idea. Thank you for that. And then number two is we've got uh, some raised beds that we do some, some gardening in. And in those beds, uh, the squirrels are always a challenge. Um, and, and I have been told that um, peppermint oil, the essential oil that you can maybe put into a little container and try to, to keep those, you know, maybe wick it through or something that deters the squirrels from eating my tomatoes. Uh, any ideas? Does that work? Does it not work? Should I look somewhere else? You have that, to, I don't, yeah. I don't know. To be honest with you, that's not going to work. The squirrels, a lot of times what they're going after, they could care less if it was a tomato. They just know tomatoes have a lot of moisture. They're really going after them when they're really drought, let's say summertime, and they're thirsty. So they're going to go nuts. You could try the peppermint, but uh, those kind of repellents, uh, somewhat iffy at best. No, I had that feeling. Well, hey, thanks, Mike. Great show. Well, thank you. Now let's go to Barb in Belleville. Hi, Barb. Hello. Got a question about that Bonite product that you were talking about that you mixed its water and put it at the base of the trees. Right. Can you do that on apple and pecan trees instead of trying to spray these tall trees? Uh, basically, you know, I'm not exactly sure what chemical is in this systemic. If, if these are apples that you're going to eat, you'd have to be certainly do some research on it, maybe even contact them directly to see what, you know, what the actual chemical is in the insecticide. My thinking would be, no, that if you're going to eat the apples, I probably wouldn't do it if you're all that concerned with it. So that's, you know, just kind of my opinion. Yeah. 
What about pecans? Same situation. Yeah, they, they, I mean, they, anything that goes inside the vascular system and uh, kills insects, yes, and it's not a contact killer. So, I mean, most of the insecticides you're going to spray, you're going to spray before, let's say, the pecans are set or before the apples are set. So that's, you know, that's where kind of the downside of it would be. Okay. So you could basically... Uh, spray something on the tree itself, but don't put it in the root system. Yeah, that would you know that would be my recommendation. Okay, I appreciate all your information. Well, Thank you. I mean, there's plenty of you know organic type insecticides, but they're all contact killers, so you have to actually spray them when the insect is there. That's yeah. where, you know that's where the trouble is. Yeah, we've got a situation where the the insect is actually in the tree and breaking off the branches, the small little branches. So it's probably a borer of some side, some yeah. type. Yeah. And a uh, contact killer. Won't do a thing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I appreciate all the information. Sure. Thank you. And let's go to Kathy in Illinois. Hi, Kathy. Hello, Kathy. Mm. Hello. Hi, Kathy. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, I have a question. I have two bushes in my front yard, and they're huge, probably 10 foot high, eight across, and they're starting to bud. I think they're some kind of magnolia bush. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, I mean, yeah. Okay, well, anyway, I, I trimmed them over the years so that they would really bush out. And they're doing really good, but now they're so big, I'm wondering if I should cut them like a tree. I just want your opinion about that. It's, I mean, it's you a know? personal choice as much as anything. Obviously, don't do any pruning on them right now because you want to see all the flowers for this year. But uh, to take you know, something with, let's say, multiple trunks, multiple branches, and try to turn it into a, a single trunk tree is going to be extremely difficult at best. Right. Well, I thought I would keep the trunks and just kind of take the the small stuff off the bottom. Uh, you know? Yeah, you could certainly kind of do that. Going up that way. Yeah. I mean, what's your preference about how it looks? You know, it's a I'm personal call. Once I do it, it's done. You it, know. Right. Exactly. So unless you just you know, if you're a little bit iffy about it, I say you know, don't do it. Okay. Just live okay. with it. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Yep. And I'll stay in Illinois and go over to Ann's yard. Hi, Ann. Hello, Ann. Are you there? Ann? Yes. Okay, go ahead. Um, some people may not want to use these, but for moles, for the last uh, couple of years, I've been using poison worms. Ah. You just find a active um, trail and dig into it just a little bit and put a worm in. Right. And they they work. Yeah, they do. I mean, it's, uh, there's a product very similar to what you're talking about called Kaput. You inject it into the tunnel. The mold, it smells just like earthworms, and it is poisonous. So that is something that's you know, is, is a possibility. Well, you do have to wear rubber gloves, and but, um, you know, I will, I'm willing to do that when it works. Right. <laughs> I understand. Okay. Yep. All right. Thank you. Uh, let's go now to Gwen, and we're staying in Illinois. Hi, Gwen. Gwen, are you there? Yeah. Hello? Hello. Hi. Hi. Hey, I have a, oh, it's probably at least 30 foot high, pretty mature uh, bald cypress that has on the north side only a rather beginning 
infestation of bagworms. It's way too high to spray. <laughs> I was wondering if there's a systemic that a systemic that could be used on uh, cypress. I've never seen them do this really with Cypress, and I can't find anything online about it. Yeah, there really isn't. And really, the bags, all it has is eggs. Right, I know that. So, consequently, I mean, a systemic, you know, when they, you know, they come out and after they hatch and they'll crawl along before the females start making another bag. The male is a moth, basically. Right. So, right, yeah. There's nothing that I could think of that would actually, you know, solve your problem. Treat this. Okay, so, I mean, there's not even if I were to, I don't know, get an arborist who could spray in May or June. Uh, he could, but he'd have to spray, you know, as the eggs have the, hatched you know, because it has right. to, you know, hit them with a direct contact. Right, right. So, okay. I mean, it would work. Are, are they going to kill this cypress? I would say no. If, they, if you okay. get that many bagworms, what you should do is sell your home and run away. That sounds scary. <laughs> Well, I was just shocked. I mean, I'm right. a master gardener, and I have watched these all winter, kind of using my binoculars. I'm right. sure my neighbors think I'm crazy, but I'm sure this is what they are. And I've never, I can't find anything about them really attacking bald cypress. Yep. That's certainly what these are. We got to run. So, Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline. See you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.